0: Uh, So we have two readings today. Um, The first one is in Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. So I'll give you some time to find that in your Bible or on your device. So that's Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. and he gave him the name Jesus. Our second reading is just in the next chapter, Matthew 2, starting at verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized what had hap- that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is God's word.
1: Well, g'day. If you're watching for the first time today, my name is Nathan. Uh, shout out to those who are gathering outside to watch this in the courtyard. And shout out also to Henry and Veronica and the whole Wrench clan. Uh, Henry and Veronica got married yesterday, uh, which is very exciting, so congratulations. Let's pray as we begin our time together today. Oh God, we thank you for uh, the chance we've had to get together again today uh, as your people Uh, And the chance we have now to open your word and to reflect. Lord, we just pray that you might be at work in us through this word uh, as we read and reflect on it together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Miss Campbell, what's wrong with your face? That was the question that greeted my wife as she rocked up to teach her Year 5 class one morning. At the time, she was six months pregnant And by the time she got home that night, she looked like she was having an allergic reaction to something. Her her hands, her feet, her face, everything was swollen. We uh, had friends over for dinner that night, and one of them was studying med. She took one look at Belle and was like, you should probably get that checked out. Thankfully, Hornsby Hospital was just around the corner, so she popped in, had a bunch of tests. And I can still remember the face the look on the nurse's face as she read Belle's blood pressure. We need to get you to North Shore right now. Her blood pressure was 170 over 110, which was high enough for them to assume that they'd be delivering that night, and Hornsby couldn't handle a 29-week-old baby. That was the first setback in our pregnancy story, but it wouldn't be the only one. Belle didn't end up delivering that night. Instead, she spent the next four weeks in hospital as they tried to keep uh, a rain on her blood pressure. At the end, she was taking more than 20 pills a day. And eventually, they you know, just couldn't, they couldn't hang on to it, control it any longer, and, and she had to have an emergency C-section. Just to make things a little more messy, it happened to be the day we were moving house. <laughs> in the end, uh, Reuben was born seven weeks premature, weighing in at just 1.8 kilos or 3.9 pounds. And because his lungs were so underdeveloped, he spent the first week of his life on oxygen in a climate-controlled, sterile humidity crib. We could barely touch him, let alone pick him up, and each night we had to say goodbye and leave him there at the hospital. He ended up spending the first month of his life at Royal North Shore. It definitely wasn't... The, the kind of start to parenthood we were expecting. It was messy. But that's often the way of it, isn't it? Messy. And not just when it comes to pregnancy or parenthood, but just life in general. It's messy. It's not straightforward. There are setbacks. Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of a mess right now. Things going in a direction you weren't expecting. Plans getting torn up or tossed aside. Life can be messy, can't it? I mean, on on Wednesday, I was going to be giving this sermon to a church full of people. But come Friday, we're back here online. (laughs) I mean, life with a global pandemic has been messy these last two years, hasn't it? Well, the Christmas story actually fits our moment perfectly because it too is full of struggle and frustration, plans being torn up, right? It's a messy story but the version of it that we hold in our heads often has this kind of shiny, pristine veneer, almost like the story's been scrubbed clean of its grime and grit. Holy infant, so tender and mild, we sing. Tender and mild. Like those two words perfectly capture the version of Christmas we often run with, but of course tender and mild couldn't be further from the reality massively messy is perhaps a more accurate description. Holy infant, so massively messy, doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Today, as we come to the third instalment in our Advent series, we're taking a look at the birth of Jesus through the eyes of a man called Joseph. And as we do, I hope we'll come to see that this is not a nice story. It might be magnificent and astounding and wondrous, but it's not nice. And it's certainly not tender and mild either. It's messy. Now, the start of Matthew's Gospel gives us the account of Jesus' birth through Joseph's eyes, right, his perspective. And from his perspective, just about everything goes wrong for him. As the story unfolds, Joseph faces three major setbacks, a social setback, a safety setback, and a settling setback. Now, dealing with any one of those on their own would be enough to do you in, right? But Joseph cops all three of them, one after the other after the other. Now, the first setback is social, and and that's actually how the story immediately begins there in verse 18. Take a look with me. The, The key phrases to note are, pledged to be married, before they came together, pregnant. The it's stated very simply, but consider for a moment the kind of disruption, the kind of upheaval, and the level of family freak-out that, that sits behind that verse. It, like, it would have been messy. Did You see, pledged to be married means that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. And betrothal was serious. You see, in those days, you would first get engaged, arranged by the families often years in advance, and then when the time was right, the couple would become betrothed. And that would usually last about a year, after which they then would get fully married. Betrothal was like socially distanced marriage. It was a legally binding covenant. A dowry would have been paid. They were referred to as husband and wife. But, but in that 12-month betrothal period, they wouldn't live together, sleep together, or, or even be left alone together socially distanced marriage the only two ways betrothal could have been broken was through death or divorce serious business now we actually don't know how joseph discovered this first setback but it wasn't the angel did you know that he's actually already considering his options before the angel shows up so chances are he finds out through official family channels how do you reckon that conversation would have gone, do you think? The planning and the preparation by both families, which has probably been years in the making, uh, a future that Joseph had been picturing and expecting and longing for, all of it comes crashing down with two words. She's pregnant. I mean, that, that would be scandalous today, wouldn't it? And, and we live in an age where, where just about anything goes, but falling pregnant to someone other than your fiancé That'd still be a massive deal today. Imagine the kind of bomb that would have gone off back in the first century. And in the Old Testament, that would have meant a death sentence for Mary. But in the first century, a Jewish lord demanded divorce. And because Joseph is obedient to the law, that's what he's considering doing. Interestingly, though, you can see it there Matthew tells us he wants to do it quietly. And it's our first true insight into this guy. You see, he was entitled to to drag Mary before a court, to publicly humiliate her, and in doing so to to clear his own name, to preserve his own honour, and he could have even kept the dowry for himself if he did that. But incredibly, he's he's not thinking about himself, he's, he's thinking about her. And he's not vindictive or bitter And instead of, you know, trying to exploit what's happened for his own gain, he wants to protect Mary. You see, Joseph's got a compassionate heart. And remember, all this is happening before the angel of the Lord's even shown up. And of course, once he does, Joseph learns the incredible truth of what's actually happening. He obeys God and he takes Mary to be his wife. So that's the social setback. Once Once Jesus is born, the next setback is one of safety. And Matthew introduces us to the ruler of Judea at that time, a man named King Herod. In history, he's known as Herod the Great. Some historians actually report him to have been one of the wealthiest rulers who ever lived. Apparently, his personal wealth was well in excess of 100 times the GDP of the region. He's most famous for his massive building program, and his ruthless paranoia. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that Herod was so concerned that no one would mourn his death, probably because of how ruthless he was, that he ordered that on the day he died, hundreds of distinguished men should be brought to the city and put to death. That would guarantee an appropriate amount of mourning. Couldn't have helped his popularity, though. That's the kind of paranoia that makes sense of what Matthew tells us. We're told that that when he finds out that a Messiah has been born, a potential rival to his rule, this guy gives the order to kill every boy in Bethlehem under the age of two. Now before Jesus gets caught up in that mess, Joseph receives a warning via a second angelic visit. Take a look at his response in chapter 2 verse 14. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Joseph acts immediately, immediately, in the pitch black of night. Super dangerous time to be traveling, right? Without notice, without planning or preparation, without knowing what he would do or where they would end up, he has to wake Mary, disturb his sleeping newborn, chuck some things in a bag and leave for a foreign place. Now, Egypt from Bethlehem was at least a 10-day journey. Like, what a setback. What a setback. To have to abandon their family support, leave his job and livelihood and income. If you're uh, familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that any time an Israelite had to leave the Promised Land, it was always a big deal. And no one ever did it lightly. So this is a big deal. And he has to do it because the most powerful and ruthless man in the world, or in the land, sorry, he wanted his son dead. Like, imagine how stressful that would have been. What a mess. And then, you know, as if, as if the first two setbacks weren't enough, there's a final one for good measure, and, and it's a settling setback. You can see it there in verse 19. After a chunk of time had passed and they'd, you know, started to make a life as refugees in a foreign land, Joseph gets his third angelic visit, and he gets told to to bring the family home. But on the trip home, he gets a fourth divine message. They can't settle in Judea, where Bethlehem was, Joseph's hometown, because Herod's son, Archelaus, was now ruling there, and he was just as bad as his old man. So Joseph takes his young family and settles in a town called Nazareth. Now, let's just say Nazareth wasn't the kind of place that would be featured on the cover of Domain. It was a long way north from Jerusalem, and it was in a region mixed with many unclean Gentiles. So if you wanted to make an entrance, you wouldn't want to be doing it from a place like Nazareth. had a terrible reputation. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It's a bit like Mossman, really. But you take a look at these three setbacks, and it paints a pretty grim picture, right? It can't have been anything at all like what Joseph was expecting marrying Mary was gonna look like. The family tension, the social stigma, the plans that kept getting frustrated, the costs that must have been incurred, the lives that were endangered, and then having to settle far from home. One after the other after the other. See, this isn't a nice story. There's nothing tender and mild about what's going on here. It's a mess, an absolute mess. And it's full of setbacks at every turn. And yet, when we're able to take, take in the full picture of what's happening here, you begin to see that, that Joseph's setbacks were actually God's set up. Now, I'm happy for you to challenge me on this, but as far as I can tell, Joseph holds the record for the most angelic visitations in the whole Bible. He gets four of them, right? Joseph, the guy who's barely in the Bible at all and has no recorded words, he gets more angel action than anyone else in the entire Bible. And what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that, that God is not just in the picture here. He's the one painting the picture. You see, each of Joseph's setbacks, the social, the safety, the settling, each one actually coincides with an angelic visit. The two things go together. And that's because God is at work in Joseph's mess. And the work he is doing far extends beyond what Joseph is able to see and comprehend in that moment, right? Far beyond. So what would have definitely felt to Joseph like a setback was actually God's set up. And Matthew's gospel makes this abundantly clear, because not only does each setback get an angel visit, but Matthew links each one to Old Testament prophecy. So with the social setback, Joseph is not just some random guy God plucks out of nowhere. He's a son of David, we're told. That's actually what the angel calls him. And that's the only time in any of the gospels that anyone Other than Jesus, gets called that. It's super important. You see, Joseph's willingness to adopt Mary's son, to to name him and to make him his own, that's what links Jesus to the line of David. He's adopted into it. I mean, take that in for a moment. Take in just how pivotal Joseph's decision is here, right? When faced with the mess of a child conceived out of wedlock, he chooses to trust God and obey Him. And it paves the way for God's great setup, the Son of God in the flesh, David's long-awaited descendant, the Messiah. It's the same with the, with the safety setback. In, in, in chapter 2, verse 15, you can see it there. Joseph and Mary's flight to Egypt is paired with a prophecy from the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. It recalls Moses leading God's people to freedom from slavery in Egypt. So, as inconvenient and disruptive as it must have been for Joseph and Mary, their escape to Egypt actually sets Jesus up as the start of a new Israel and the promise of God's ultimate deliverance, a new exodus. Matthew also links prophecy with the third setback. Joseph being forced to settle in Nazareth. It fulfills, we're told, what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, as I said before, to be called a Nazarene was something of an insult. And so it kind of picks up on on Old Testament prophecies about the humble, unassuming, and unexpected nature of the Messiah. Examples we can find in places like Isaiah 53, where it says he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. From the outset, even from the the inside, from Joseph's point of view, this all looks like a great, big, inconvenient, uncomfortable mess. But God, in his infinite wisdom, he works in the mess, doesn't he? Because he is the master of the mess. And he uses Joseph and Mary to bring his beloved son into the world. And each setback is actually a pivotal moment where Joseph is called upon to save the one who would one day save the world. Isn't that incredible? Friends, the season of Advent is a season of waiting, isn't it? And really, we're in this season until Christ comes again. We're waiting for him. And one of the keys to waiting well is how we respond when things get messy. Do we throw up our hands in despair? Do we pack it in? Do we give up? Do we tap out, switch off? Life is messy. Maybe it's messy for you right now. So what do we do? How do we wait well? Well, instead of holding fast to our plans or holding fast to our circumstances, whatever they may be, We need to hold fast to our God, don't we? To the master of the mess. To the one who can work in it and through it. To the one who can work good from bad. I mean, that's what we see him doing in the life of Joseph, don't we? Joseph's setbacks were God's set up. Now, of course, at one level, this is a pretty special case, right? Four angelic visits. The birth of the Son, God becoming flesh, that is monumental. You can't overstate how monumental that is. And yet, at the same time, there's actually nothing unusual about him mastering the mess. That's vintage God, isn't it? (laughs) That's how he rolls. Someone I, I read this week put it like this. God is writing in capital letters here what he's been writing in smaller letters in our lives and throughout history. He is master of the mess. That's what he does. It's his thing. And he's been working that way since the very beginning, hasn't he? Abraham, for instance, he faced infertility before God used him to father a nation. Moses had to flee for his life before God used him to free his people. Ruth, she suffered tremendous loss. Before God made her David's great grandmother, Esther got called out by Mordecai before God used her to rescue the exiles. Simon Peter stumbled before God lifted him up to lead the church. And the Apostle Paul went blind before God used him to open the eyes of the Gentiles. And of course, you've got the mess of the cross. Friends, our God masters the mess doesn't he? His plans are never foiled, his expectations never frustrated, he knows exactly what he's doing and nothing, nothing can get in his way. As messy as things might look to us, they look messy at the moment, don't they? It's never too messy for God to do his thing and he will and he is. You know that doesn't always mean we know what it is he is doing though, and sometimes it's only afterwards when you can look back and see how he was at work. Reuben turned 11 just this past Friday, and we never stopped giving thanks to God that we've got him. And when Bell and I look back at the setbacks surrounding his birth, we can see the way that God was, was teaching us about control as in just how little control we actually have when it comes to the matters of life and death. Because as good as medicine is today, and it it did a wonderful job in saving Reuben's life, there are still so many uncontrollables. And being confronted with that reality has definitely driven us both further and further into dependence on God. We can also see the the way that that our experience has, has shaped and equipped us for ministry, Right? It, it's, it's grown and matured us in ways that have allowed us then to walk with others who are facing their own setbacks. and we have been able to do that many times in the years since Rubs was born. A few months after he was born, my uncle was so moved by the, the neonatal care that saved his life, he decided to raise money to support the Humpty Dumpty Foundation. Now, this foundation raises money uh, for specialised medical equipment in children's hospitals. After six months of training and preparation, he and some others actually trekked the last degree, as they call it, to the South Pole in Antarctica. It was 1,100 kilometres over eight days in minus 50 degree weather. To do it, he had to personally raise $100,000, and he did so that more places would have the kind of gear that saved Reuben's life. Friends, we often don't know how God might be working through our mess, bringing good out of bad. Sometimes we can only see it after coming through it, and quite often we don't even get that. Sometimes we never, we might never know what he was doing in the middle of our mess. We might not know that, But we do know him, don't we? We know the one who has the power to master the mess, the one who has promised to one day put an end to all the mess. So as we wait in this season of Advent, however long it will turn out to be, instead of holding fast to our plans, instead of holding fast to our circumstances, hold fast to what you know of him as Spurgeon put it so well. I love this quote. He said, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. So when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Will you do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, This world is a messy place. We've read about the mess that you brought your son into and the way that you used Joseph in such a remarkable way in order to help do that. Pray, Lord, uh, for us as we wade through our own mess here in this life and as we wait for your return, Lord, help us to wait well. Help us to hold fast to you, to what we know of you, to your great promise, your great promises to us. May that, Lord, lift us up in our time of need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.